0: Good morning everyone. I th- thought when the wind was up today, well I, thought, I think you're a really brave everyone to come out on such a windy day. But last March, twice I was meant to preach and both times it snowed. So I thought it isn't, at least it isn't snowing. This is the second in the series, on, as it's been explained uh, this morning, on the miracles that Jesus did as recorded in John's Gospel. This is actually the third miraculous sign. We're going to have the second one next week. <laughs> There's no mystery particularly about that. It's just organisational issues that we swapped it round. But uh, let's, let's have a look at the passage. You may have heard something about this place, Garfield Pike, in the week. It was all on the news there's some controversy because it's a conservation area but right on the top people have to make a decision as they come down from the top and mountain rescue have got fed up with rescuing people basically and they want a sign you get to this point if you turn left you just gently come down the path to the village you turn right and you're into quite treacherous territory, especially if it's raining or it's dusk or it's getting dark, you can be in serious trouble. And mountain rescue are so fed up, they want a sign. But you can't put signs up in the conservation area. Well, I think to mountain rescue are going to win this one. Somebody said they're going to put a stone up with the direction instead, so it wouldn't be a, a signpost. Signs tell us something, don't they? Signs indicate us. These miracles in John are all called signs. But what do they tell us? What are they pointing to? What's the point of the sign? Let's look at the passage in in John 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pole, which is in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for for a long time he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, in some, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. When um, Steve originally sent out all the all the list of talks that we were going to do and dates and everything, they're the seven miraculous signs that Jesus said. And I looked at them and I thought, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm happy with all of them except for one. And guess what? It's John 5. Why was I? did I have problems? Well, actually, it's very good. <laughs> to be given a passage that you have to struggle with a bit and work on because it really helps you you know, to grow in the Lord if you've really got to think about it quite a lot. Why? I had all these questions. Why him? What was special about him? The Bible tells it, doesn't it, that there were a whole crowd of people all lying by the pool and Jesus picks out one. I guess he must have been compassionate towards this poor guy who had been sick for 38 years who hadn't been able to walk and he couldn't get in the pool. But why him? Why not the others? There was a time when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, and after he did that, the whole town of Capernaum turned up at the door. Everyone who was sick, who was ill, who had demon possession, everything, who wasn't quite right, and Jesus started healing them all. But he doesn't do it. He only heals one guy. Did this guy have any faith at all? Jesus asked him. That's an interesting question. Do you want to get well? Well, what a question! You've been invalided for thirty-eight years, and someone says, "Do you want to be better?" You'd think that was obvious, wouldn't you? Why did Jesus ask that? Did you really want to get better? Did he have any faith? Stop sinning. That's really weird. I can't think of another occasion in all the Gospels where after he's healed someone, Jesus goes up to him and says, "Stop sinning," <coughs> or something else, something worse will happen to you." That's really strange. I must point this: all this stuff about Sabbath. What's the point of all that? Is there anything in that for us, which is? Betrayal. Did he betray Jesus? Why did he go to the Jewish authorities and say, it was Jesus who healed me? Did he have to do that? Why did he do it? And does this passage have any real meaning for us? Does it tell us something in 21st century Britain that's relevant to our lives? Well, I think the answer is yes. Definitely. But we will see that's how Bethesda may have looked this is um, a model of Bethesda in the time of Jesus it's in the Israel you, in Jerusalem and you can see there are two pools the top one is the first one the northern pool was built around um, 700 years before Jesus it's a great big system basically they um, blocked up a valley so that they could, it would fill with rainwater water was always a problem in Jerusalem because it's on top of a hill in fact it's the highest peak in central Palestine very strategic but it's the highest point so they had trouble getting water and the second pool was added around 200 years before Jesus was born people doubted that it was ever there for a long time they couldn't find it and then in 1856 a man called Konrad Schlick found it an archaeologist and he discovered him. It. and um, it's interesting a bit off the point but it's interesting that uh, the Turks who were in charge of Palestine at that time offered it to Queen Victoria they offered her a choice you can have Bethesda or you can add the island of Cyprus guess what she chose that's how we got Cyprus as part of the British Empire so there's this water a great reservoir water there's this cult that meets there believing that they can get healed if the first person in is there sometimes the water stirs And the belief was that if you could get down first into the pool you would be healed. Springs of water, an idea of healing, was very common in the ancient world. All over the place. You only have to think of Bath to know that that's true. That was what the Romans adopted in this country, already a sacred site. And they believe this. In your authorized versions, if anyone's got the authorized version, it talks about an angel coming down and stirring up the water. But that's not very well attested in the, uh, the original documents. So most modern translations leave it out. But somehow the water was stirred. So Jesus comes along to heal this man. I asked, why him? Why him? We don't know really. Why did Jesus pick one person out? It's the same question in a way as why me? Why me? Why don't I have good faith, health? Why don't I, why is everybody else fine and I don't have good health? what about my relationships they always seem to be going wrong what is it about me why me why is my career or work why is that such a problem why am i going anywhere we don't know sometimes god allows us to go through these things he takes us through it and we, we trust him as we believe in him often we know in retrospect we can look back and see why God has taken us through that why did he do it? Sometimes we will never know only in heaven will we understand why God took us through that particular trouble, that tragedy, that sickness, that illness, whatever it is we all go through these things. We all say, why me? Jesus just picked this one man. We don't know why he picked him out. But we do know that he always did what his father told him to do. Did he have faith? Did he really believe? Well, he got up, didn't he? Jesus said, take up your mat and walk. And he actually did get up, even though he was healed first. We had to be healed because he couldn't get up otherwise. So we got up. Did he really trust or did he just think, I'll just give it a go? (laughs) Why not? I've been here 38 years. He says I'm healed. I'm going to try it. I'll just give it a go. And what about the other thing? Stop sinning. Why did Jesus pick that up? That was really strange. As I said, he never says that anywhere else. Do you remember the, the man who came through the roof? His friends came up, went up the steps, got on the roof of the house, tore up the mud, lowered him down on a blanket in front of Jesus in his crowded house, And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. And the Pharisees said, you can't say that. You can't say that. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus said, that you may know that the Son of Man can forgive sins. Take up your mats and walk. And he did. He did. But this case, Jesus says, stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. It's strange. Tragedy and sin aren't normally linked to Jesus. He doesn't pick them together. There's a time in John 9 where uh, the man who was born blind, which we are going to talk about in this series, the disciples asked him, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither of them. It's so the glory of God can be shown neither of them sinned and they came to Jesus once and they said why did those men who were killed when they were sacrificing and Pilate's men, soldiers come and kill them and mix their blood with the sacrifice why did that happen, were they sinful? the disciples asked Jesus Jesus said no and neither was those men who were killed when the tower in Salome fell down and 18 people were killed. N- they weren't sinful any more than anybody else. But everyone needs to repent. Tragedy and sin isn't automatically ringed by Jesus. But did he have any heart change? Did this man just receive, I think he did, just receive physical healing he was better he was well but had anything changed in terms of his faith had he any repentance at all he reports Jesus to the religious leaders doesn't sound like a faith action to me sometimes in the New Testament sin and sickness are linked very occasionally and the obvious example perhaps is Um, 1 Corinthians 11. Which talks about communion. Where Paul says. You must judge yourself. Before you come to communion. And some of you aren't. And that's why some of you are sick. And some of you have died. Hebrews it says that. God disciplines. Those who he loves. Those who his Bible. Sometimes we need to ask ourselves why has God allowed this to happen to me we should examine ourselves and see why has that actually happened mostly my experience we find it's got nothing to do with sinfulness but it's a good test and sometimes I've changed what I do and responded when things have gone wrong and what about the Sabbath stuff In Genesis, it says God rested on the seventh day and made it holy. And then in Exodus, he said that you are to observe all the Sabbath, the Sabbath day, the seventh day. And this is the recording from Deuteronomy. It says about observing the Sabbath day. Look at verse 14. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to your Lord you will not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any animals, and the animals are not allowed to work, nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. In other words, everyone is to rest. You are not going to have a day's rest and your servants are going to serve you they're going to be resting too everyone no one's going to be exploited remember you were slaves you will not treat people like that my son and his wife came over recently from America and uh, it was interesting they checked their work emails every day (laughs) they were on holiday and yet their laptops were out, and they were looking at their emails. We better to do it every day than let it build up, and we've got an enormous, enormous amount when we come home. Have you heard this? you come across this. This is our 24-hour-7 working culture. You never sign off. You're always on the work. We have a culture increasingly which is workaholic. We keep going over and over again. When God gave the Sabbath, it was a good thing. He said, you will not be workaholics. There are two parts to that command. Six days you shall labour, it says. That's the bit nobody ever remembers. Six days you're going to work. The seventh, you'll take a day off. But you will have a day off. No one in the ancient world apart from the Israelites had anything like that. We owe the weekend to this. So we ought to be grateful. But there is a dark side to the Sabbath. Let me say this before I move on to that point. That for some people today there's a new movement that people are recognizing that we need to revive this idea of taking rest. I've just read a book by an American pastor who was meant to be completely so full of energy that when he said he was going to write a book about rest, everyone fell about laughing because he was just so dynamic until he had a complete breakdown. And he discovered that it really is a good thing to plan in a complete day of rest. I've uh, come across this in several places recently and it's really helpful. Jenny and I, I know we're retired but we found that even if you're retired you'd still do more even than, than ever it seems. And we've decided we'll take a day a week when we'll call it our Sabbath. And the rule is that we don't have two straight rules but this is the key thing. I shouldn't use the word rule because it isn't really a rule. It is we will only do fun things we will not do anything that is like we consider work we will spend time with the Lord and we will move the day around and we will not be over religious about it so if anything really comes up we will break it that needs to be done but it is amazing because what happens the next day you've got twice as much energy it really works. Really works. But as I said, or started to say a moment ago, there's a dark side to this. And the Jewish authorities, worried that people wouldn't obey the Sabbath, put loads of rules around it to make sure you couldn't possibly break it. They had 39 different cases of work that you weren't allowed to do. One of them was moving goods from one place to another. Now this paralytic who got healed wasn't a furniture remover and the Old Testament wouldn't have condemned him for doing what he did. It was a straw mat for goodness sake. And he'd just been healed. He wouldn't have been condemned under the Old Testament. But they did. And it a terrible thing when we push things too far we would go to extremes I was brought up my parents told me after playing cards on sunday once you know we can make two many rules and regulations and destroy what is good but there's something else so this is the continuation from what we read it says So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work on this very day. And I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but because he was calling God his own father and making himself equal with God before Jesus was born there was a great debate amongst the rabbis and this was their debate now this is needles on a dancing on a pinhead so you'll have to bear with stuff you'll have to bear with me in this there was a great debate the debate was could God who made the law of the Sabbath Would he have to keep it? Or was God allowed to work on the Sabbath or not? Okay, Was God allowed to work on the Sabbath? And the answer they finally came up with was, yes, he was. Um, Otherwise the universe wouldn't work, would it? And, And evidence they said was that babies are born on the Sabbath. Therefore, God's giving life, isn't he? So they decided that God could work on the Sabbath. But nobody else could. Now listen to what Jesus says. He says, my father is always at work on this very day. And I too am working. And the Pharisees got it. You are saying you're God. If you're working like your father, you're saying you are God. He isn't just saying the word Father. They understood straight away what Jesus was saying. That he was God himself. What's this miracle about? What's this sign pointing us to? It's pointing to who Jesus really is. He has to be honoured as the Father. John... 5 and verse 23 says that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Jesus is absolutely the same as God. He's always led by his Father. He always did what God the Father said. He was completely and utterly obedient to him. This is what Jesus was like judgment was given to him isn't that amazing to judge people God the father delegated it if you like to Jesus he was given to him life was given to him whoever listens to my voice and believes in my father they shall pass from death to life he says that's life itself eternal life all comes through Jesus eternal life and that life was eternal too this is our Lord absolute he heals this man he confronts the Pharisees he shows them who he really is and do we relate to that Jesus I learnt a word this week FOMO OK, yeah, I'm completely out of touch. It's been around for ages, I know. It went into the um, Oxford English Dictionary in 2013, apparently. So I'm a bit behind. I observed this. But I didn't know what FOMO was. And then I looked it up, and it means fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. Apparently, it's, I suppose it's all blamed on social media and stuff like that seems to be there are psychological if you look on Wikipedia there's some um, psychological papers about it all obviously it's a big deal for some people fear of missing out the idea that everybody else is um, is having a great life and somehow we're all miserable because we're not uh, I even saw a clip of Russell Brand who surprisingly was very good but um, he had a lot of obscenities in his videos. so I thought better not use it this morning <laughs> fear of missing out that somehow we're going through life and we're not getting the most out of it not really yeah. missing out the healed man I want to suggest you missed out he missed it he was touched by God he had this amazing miracle done to him by Jesus himself but he missed it he didn't go beyond that point even though he had a touch from God he missed out he lost it he didn't know God the Jewish leaders missed out all they could think about is maybe one of these rules that we have was broken they didn't even seem very worried or care even that the man had been healed had been 38 years they didn't bother But they missed everything. They missed the vital bit that Jesus was the Son of God had come into this world. They missed it. We don't have to. That's the great news. We don't have to miss out. And if we miss out on loads of things and travel and possessions and all kinds of things, if the thing not to miss out is what God has for us what Jesus has for us don't miss out on that because Jesus is there for us he's there waiting for us to come and ask him to come and seek him if we've never known what it is to know Jesus and our lives see that transformation in our lives he's there for us If we're Christians and we're going through struggles he's there for us now. If we're just living life quite happily he's still there for us continuing to work in our lives continuing to change us continuing to bless us. Wherever we are in life however new or long we've been on the life of faith Jesus is there for that, And we must not miss out on that. Amen. Let's pray. (coughs) Father God, we thank you uh, for your son Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love for us that you sent him into this world. That he lived that perfect life. That he went to that awful cross and died for for us there. And we thank you that he's in heaven right now at your right hand interceding for us Lord we pray that we will not miss out on knowing Jesus in our lives by the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. that we will just commit ourselves to him whatever else we may do in Jesus name Amen